There is a content warning for this episode as it discusses eating disorders. Please consider this before you continue to listen. Welcome to Inspirational Tales. When my guests on this podcast experience the most challenging times of their lives, they use these hardships to learn, grow and better themselves. And as a result, they are now thriving in life. Their stories are ones of resilience, strength and overcoming adversity. So sit back and join me as we celebrate them turning their challenges into triumphs. My guest on this episode is Ashley Thomas. When Ashley was a teenager, she was diagnosed with anorexia. Whilst she was in hospital for treatment, her mum began a Facebook page to update Ashley's family and friends on her progress. This Facebook page was the beginning of what is now The Secret Burden, a business starting conversations and making change for those with eating disorders and mental health challenges. In this interview, Ashley shares a raw and honest account of her time living with anorexia, the support that her parents gave her, and the surprising turning point that led her to deciding she wanted to recover. She then explains why she started sharing her story and the work that she does with The Secret Burden. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be involved and start a unique conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak with you as well. So in my interviews, I always like to start right back at the beginning. And I know you were quite young when your eating disorder journey did begin. But if you could take us back to before that and give us a bit of an explanation about what you were like as a person and what your life was like back then. Yeah, well, before I was diagnosed, I was definitely a different person to who I am today. I would say I'm the polar opposite. I was someone that was quite shy and and didn't speak much. I didn't open up to my family. And I was the type of person I believe that I felt slept through the cracks, didn't have many friends or didn't feel like I had many friends. And it was a person that sort of sat in the back of the classroom and that felt like they were invisible to the world. So mm-hmm. that's who I would say the type of person I was. And prior to di- my diagnosis, I believe that affected me a lot, having that personality trait where I wasn't open or I wasn't honest and I internalised a lot to the point where I would go through significant trauma events and not speak up or not voice my emotions or how I was feeling. And over time, I believe when you internalise that and you don't speak about those issues as a young person, that builds up and you learn to cope in different ways. And unfortunately, yeah, later on in my life, when I was in my teenage years, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa because it was my coping mechanism of making myself feel like I was in control and better about myself. But it, yeah, it started from those initial moments where I was shy, I felt left out, I felt like I wasn't wanted in this world and and that, you know, social media was also starting to be introduced and I feel like that was another platform that made me feel like I was more alone than I was already feeling. Oh, I want to give you a big hug. I want to give young Ash a big hug. <laughs> so do I. I try to give her a hug every day, let her know that it's okay, we're good now and that we're safe. So did you have any body image issues back then? Yeah, I would say that I, th- I think we all grow and we all, we all learn them at some stage mm-hmm. in our lives and definitely when I was a young person, you know, baby to even toddler, no, no body image issues. You have no care in the world. You don't care what anyone thinks of you. And then 
I believe for me, I reached primary school and as I said, social media was starting to be introduced and I was playing netball at the time. And the comparison amongst girls just started where what you looked like in your uniform and what you started posting on Instagram was the, the dominant platform at the time. And for me, I, I started to compare myself to everyone and I started to compare myself to the girls in the magazines and then the girls on Instagram and then my friends. And when you're young and your bodies are growing at all different times and you're going into all different shapes and sizes, it's a lot to take on when you have all these mixed messages that you're supposed to be a certain size and a certain weight. So I think for me, year five and year six were the real integral moments where I started to question what I looked like and started to see myself as not enough, not thin enough, not beautiful enough. And from there, it started to just spiral. So can you take us through kind of how it went from that to being then diagnosed with anorexia? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say it started in year six where it was um, just sort of fresh in my mind that who I was as a person and what my body looked like all of a sudden was not enough. And then I was in an industry playing netball where sport is very competitive and they encourage you at a young age to look a certain way, to be fit on the field or to be fit on the court and to look after your body. And for me, when I was receiving those messages, it was all almost like a solution to a solution to making me feel how I'm feeling now about myself and about my body in the world with my friends could be fixed if I started looking after myself and if I started fueling myself better. So I would say it started off with healthy eating um, because I wanted to feel better about myself. I was feeling so alone and so lost. So I started just eating very cleanly. What you would call is a standard diet for someone that it's probably a lot older where you cut out certain food groups, what diet culture tells you to cut out, whether it's sugar or carbs. I started that and then in my head, I saw no result. So I saw myself not getting any thinner, not getting any fitter, not performing any, any better and not getting any more likes or any more friends. So I was like, I need to try harder. So I started to cut out more food groups and then I just started to not eat altogether. And... I thought that doing that would make me feel better, but I just slowly started to feel worse. And I started to then withdraw from my friends. I started to withdraw from my sport. I started to withdraw from my family, spending a lot more time on social media. And then there were times there where I would go days without eating anything. And I would go to bed at night knowing I was starving, like my my stomach was growling that much, but having that goal I'm a very determined person in my head that no I want to look a certain way and I want to be liked and in order to get there I have to do this and I think from there the body tries to fight you as long as it can because it wants to stay at its stable weight but it came a time where I remember going on a trip with school and it was a six-day trip and not eating anything on that trip for six days yeah for six days not eating anything and I got to a stage where I no longer knew what hunger and fullness cues were. I was no longer starving. It was just my new normal. And then the weight just started to slip off. And it came to a point where I just slept all the time. I had no energy. I had 
or all the I couldn't even last a day at school I was having time off school I started to get really pale and I was wearing baggy clothes so not a lot of people noticed what was going on and I became so isolated that I was just numb I was just existing and and it's really sad to say but it was like I was just waiting for my my time to just to leave this earth because I wasn't feeling myself I wasn't looking after myself I wasn't happy and I was 13 years old and going through all of this and unfortunately this is what happens with the disease and this is what happens with the illnesses that the more that you lose the more that you lose yourself and you lose any sense of self that you just become this walking skeleton almost that has no say or no voice and yeah the best way I can explain it is I was just existing. You said you were wearing baggy clothes and withdrawing but did anyone realise that something wasn't quite right here with you or when did people start to realise? Yeah I would say no. no at the start no one really took note of it because I think the culture and the society that we're in is that if you're starting to eat healthy or eat clean it's like oh that's good you know she's taking care of herself she's yep. looking after herself and as I said, it kind of got swept under the rugs because I was in the sporting industry and that is something that they encourage is to look after your well-being and unfortunately the disease is very deceptive and can hide things really well. So I started just hiding everything and saying that I'd already eaten or shoving things in places that shouldn't go in places and um, I would. my mum was the first one to notice something when we went on holidays and it was summer and we decided to go to the beach and obviously can't wear clothes when you're going for a swim so I took off my clothes and my mum then made a comment and just said is everything okay and I said yeah yeah everything's fine you know you put on this brave happy face I'm all good and then she said you're looking quite thin and I said, oh, you know, I'm just eating, I'm just eating well. I'm just looking after myself. You know, it's all with the training. It's with netball, convincing her that everything is okay. Everything's fine. And then she did catch me at one point while we were on that holiday, throwing up the food that I had just eaten. And then she said, when we get back, we need to have a talk. And mm -hmm. we came back from that holiday and I remember mum and I just going for a walk and then I just broke down and not ever thinking that I was doing anything wrong. I never thought that starving myself or not eating or eating healthy was wrong. It was more breaking down and saying that I have no friends. I'm lost. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't want to be here. And then we went and saw a specialist at the time in our local area who then diagnosed me with anorexia. So it was one of those things where I believe I am very, very lucky that my mum did notice that small thing and that we even just went to the beach that day because who knows where I would have been today if my mum had never picked up or just even, you know, took me into the doctor or took me to the specialist to actually go and get help because if I didn't, I would definitely be uh, knocking on death's door. Wow. Your parents seem absolutely amazing. Yeah, they are phenomenal. But I can imagine how difficult it must be for a parent to see their child suffering and going through what you went through. And, I mean, there are some videos 
of the, of them trying to feed you and you refusing um, that you've put up online. What was it like for them at the time to try and help you? Yeah, I mean, I can only go off what they've told me, but it was traumatic. Like no parent should have to force feed their child at any age, no matter who you are or what you've been through. And I think for them, the worst part was knowing that they couldn't fix it, Mm -hmm. that it was all up to me and that my recovery and my will to live, that decision was up to me. And being a parent, all you want to do is you just want to fix things and you want your child to be safe and you want your child to survive in this world. And the fact that they couldn't do that and I wasn't allowing them to help me in any way, I think was really, really tough. And and in the initial stages, I know my dad found it really hard because in his eyes and in a lot of people's eyes, it's simple, just eat. Like it's something that we all should be able to do. It's just the normal thing to survive. And a lot of people don't understand that with an eating disorder, it's not about the food. It is a mental illness. And it's not as simple as just eating food. Yes, it's easy for a lot of us. But getting your mind around that it's not about the food and having to learn about the eating disorder so that you can actually try and help that person, encourage them to get better, is such a learning experience in itself. And we went on a a whole different family experience, they said at the start. We were a family that we did not talk. We kind of were all in our own little worlds, in our busy environments, and only really came to the table to eat dinner or to talk about the day once mum picked us up from school. We weren't as talkative and then going through what we went through we weren't so much we became so much tighter because we had to learn to get to know each other and to know each other's strengths and to know each other's weaknesses because this is a family-based treatment it's not just someone that goes through the eating disorder and then okay it's all up to them you need a support team to get through this and it was so difficult and I'm being completely honest at the start, I hated my family. I hated my parents because they were forcing me to do something that I didn't want to do. They were fighting the eating disorder and the eating disorder is what I felt kept me safe and kept me whole. And I felt like they were against me. But now looking back, I'm so grateful that they fought for me and continue to fight for me even when I didn't want to fight for myself. So when they were trying to feed you and you didn't want them to, can you try to explain, because like you just said there, it can be a bit difficult for people that haven't, me included, I haven't been through an eating disorder, I'll say that straight out, to kind of understand exactly what is going through your mind or how this can actually happen. So I don't know if it's how easy it is for you to explain it, but when they're trying to feed you and you're refusing, what is actually going through your mind at the time? It's... It's almost like you go in a trance. I The best way I describe it to people is when, in my experience, having anorexia, it's like I had split personalities. So I had the Ashley that, you know, was great and it was bubbly outside of mealtimes when we're talking about recovery. But when it came to eating or having to undergo some sort of treatment in terms of food, it was like anorexia had taken over, which was my second personality. And she'd shut down everything. So my jaw would lock and freeze. I'd go numb. 
Um, I would just cry. I would throw tantrums that were like my anxiety was so high because it was the disease would do anything to prevent the food going in. So in that case, it was screaming. It was locking my jaw. It was pushing my parents. It was throwing things. It was yelling things. It was like the disease went into survival mode and it took over. Like there were instances where we would go to mealtimes and I wouldn't remember what happened afterwards because the disorder would have taken over and the little Ashley that was inside would became trapped and and she couldn't voice or she couldn't hear or I couldn't do anything it was like I was paralyzed and the disorder had taken over and it just did whatever it could in order to just not get food in because in order for it to survive was for me not to eat and so it would chuck anything in there yeah there were days where I remember my dad because my jaw would lock so tightly would put his fingers in my mouth and open my jaw while my mum would syringe food into my mouth and and then because my jaw was locked it was that as well of not wanting me to choke because my whole system had shut down because I just became paralyzed so it's very you look at eating disorders and you think it might just be, you know, some diet girls go on because they want to lose weight, but there's so much more to it and it's so deep. And when you're malnourished and you're overtaken by this disease, there's only so much you can do as a person. And yeah, for my parents to go through that, I don't know how they did it. Let's say that I have no idea how they did it. It's not just your parents, though. You went through it too. Can't imagine that being easy for you. Mm, yeah, well, it was weird. Like, as I was explaining, it, it's like I wasn't there. Like, I was in a trance and I remember sometimes having actual out-of-body experiences where, you know, I was at a meal and all this stuff was happening and I was throwing things, I was screaming and people were around me trying to feed me. And I would be standing across from myself, watching myself and watching all these, all these things unfold and feeling like I couldn't do anything about it. I was just watching myself in my head. It was like a toddler throwing a tantrum and it was like I was possessed and just watching that unfold for myself and feeling nothing, like I just couldn't do anything. So when you're outside of the meal time, at the time and you're thinking back to your parents were trying to feed you what were your feelings around that like do you feel because you're saying you had not much control over what you were doing at that time do you then feel guilty or or what happens afterwards Mm, yeah so the moments that I do remember and I'd come out of that I remember just breaking down to my parents just going like I'm so so sorry like I don't know what happened it's like taken over me and that would last for a good hour of just that guilt that would set in because yeah it's like okay the disorder has now settled it's done its bit and then all of a sudden you come back in and you've got to deal with the aftermath of all that and it's kind of a setup in a way because you then have to deal with your parents that have just gone through all that and they're angry and they're frustrated because you've refused to eat and they've have to had to do things they didn't want to do and then all of a sudden you just break down and go like, I am so sorry. And the tears and it's, it's an emotional roller coaster because like, I felt like I couldn't control it. I couldn't control those moments that happened during mealtime. And so after meals, it was like, I was having to pick up the pieces of all the damage that I had just done. And 
it's really hard sometimes when you don't know what you've done either, you know, and you were doing this seven times a day. Like it wasn't something where the meal plan was you had to eat seven times. And so you'd eat one meal and then it'd roll over into the next meal because the tantrum took two hours and then it'd roll over into the next meal and then it'd roll over into the next meal. So you, my family was doing this 24 seven for prior to me going to hospital. It was 22 weeks of this. And it's, an experience that I will never forget and it's something that I had to just do therapy with my family just to get over because it's traumatizing in yourself that you, you have to do that with people that you love. Yeah. So you just said then you went into hospital. Was that involuntary? Uh, it was oh, it was such a, a troubling experience, that whole environment, because as I said, we had 22 weeks prior to being admitted. So I was diagnosed and then there were 22 weeks at home where no hospital would take me. So I'm in northern New South Wales. So being New South Wales based, no Queensland hospitals would take me. And being so far north in New South Wales and in regional New South Wales, places like Sydney and further would not take me. And unfortunately, there was no adequate services in my area to treat an eating disorder. So we had to do family-based care from home. And it came to a stage where my specialist at the time told my parents, just go to a Queensland hospital and pretend to faint and then refuse to leave just so that you can get help. That is ridiculous. It is awful that we have this system that I was dying in front of my my parents' eyes and they couldn't do anything. No, I was, I think, admitted into emergency, like the emergency hospital in our area seven times and they kept turning me away because they're like, we can't help you. We've got nothing to support you with here. And so eventually, thankfully, I was admitted into a I think it's the Brisbane Children's Hospital now in Brisbane, but it was Lady Salento at the time as a respite. And then it was later known that I was there for, yeah, good on two and a half months. But no, I was sold that I was going to a retreat, a well-being retreat that was going to look after me and I was going to learn to intuitively listen to my body. And little did I know, yeah, I um, rocked up at a child mental health ward. What's your memory of that time? Oh, yeah, the first one that pops into my head is the actual first day I was admitted into hospital. I remember sitting in the room with one of the nurses and both my parents and the realisation moment that I was not in a retreat, that I was in a hospital and looking at my parents and they both broke down. It's the first time I've ever seen my dad cry. And just, I remember the nurse just repeating things of like standard practice and all these medical procedures. And I was looking at mom and going like, what, what is going on? Like, where are we? And then mom like holding my hand and going, you need help. You need, you need help. We, we can't look, we can't keep doing this. We, we need help as parents. And I remember looking at her and her signing a document and later realising that they, they signed over their parental rights so that the hospital at that, that time then had the rights to, to look after me, to, to care for me. My parents had no say. So that moment still sticks into me to this day. You know, it was kind of the best and worst day of my life. Do you think that the time there helped you? Oh, yeah. I think without going there, I would have had a definitely a different outcome 
I think at the time I did not think it was going to help me. I thought that I was trapped and that my parents were sending me away and they were giving up being parents to me and that I was this bad person. I'd done so much wrong. Looking back now, it's what saved my life. If I did not go to hospital, I would not be here today. And it definitely helped me. And even the nurses there that were there at the time helped my parents so much through the experience that they went through. And without that, I don't even think that I'd be able to advocate for what I'm doing today. Oh, that's fantastic. So when do you think that you actually decided that you wanted to change and wanted to get help for this? It's really weird. Everybody has, I guess, that pivotal moment or have that time where they just transition. And for me, it was in hospital. There was a moment there where I'd actually had another out-of-body experience. and But this time, my heart had stopped and the nurses were performing CPR on me. And I remember... That actually happened? Yeah, in hospital. Oh, my goodness. Is this because you were so underweight? Yeah, so I, I came to... My vitals were really, really bad. And... Even when I was admitted, they said, we don't understand how she's still alive. Like her vitals are that poor. And yeah, they came, I think, I don't remember the exact dates, but I think it was about two weeks in. And I just remember seeing myself on my bed and, and having these nurses perform CPR on me. And weirdly enough, just feeling like, okay, like safe. And I then remember seeing weird just flashes like memories of from when I was younger to the moment I was born to going through all the stages of my life and then watching it all become quite negative and seeing the current memories at the time where it was everything was just sad and everything was depressing and my family was going through so much trauma and I was causing it and I remember watching all that and just feeling like an awful person inside And then I remember this light that was a weird light and it was in like the the right, like the corner of my right eye and it was white and I remember just feeling safe. I just remember feeling really calm and then I remember filling the room and seeing my great nan and she's someone that's very special to my family and I remember just seeing her but then hearing her whisper was just like the pivotal moment for me where it was where she said it's not your time yet it's not your time to let go and then the white light just filled the room and I remember waking up in the body that was being like CPR was being performed like back in myself and all the nurses were checking everything and once everything had cleared that I was safe and that they were still going to monitor me I remember waking up and that whole entire night planning my way to recovery because in my head it was like that was the moment to say either wake the hell up or it's not your time, you need to start fighting for yourself. And, yeah, I just I kind of made a, a small internal vow to myself in that moment that I was going to give recovery a shot. I would given, you know, death a shot. I was all about just wanting to leave this earth. And I was like I, everyone keeps telling me that if I just recover that things will get better and I never believed them but in that moment I was like I've got to give it a try I have to I have to give it a go to see if what they're saying is real and to see if what my nan said to me was truthful and yeah that was the moment and I still have that book that has all my recovery how I was going to recover notes and 
it's a daily reminder of how far I've come and and just whenever I'm having a bad day it's that moment reminds me of you know this is what I'm fighting for my goodness I've got goosebumps hearing you say that I was not expecting that at all no it's um a pretty grand moment (laughs) I'm sure you've gone back and thought about this a lot and about what happened then a lot but what is your interpretation of that? Do you think that you died and that's what that was? Or do you think it was just an out of, another out-of-body experience like the ones you had previously? Like what is your interpretation and, I guess, meaning that you've placed on what happened to be such a pivotal turning point for you? Yeah, I don't know. For, I've Yes, I've gone back and tried to debunk this, being the person that I am <laughs> where – I love my research and I love my facts and I've even Googled everything saying like, why, why has this happened? But for me, the more that I look back on it, the more like I was, I was at rock bottom. Like that was my lowest. That was, I couldn't go any further apart from obviously following through on leaving this earth. And for me, it was, I don't know how to explain it, but it was my sign. It was, if you ever needed a sign, that was the moment to say that, you're not meant to leave this earth yet at that time for for whatever reason we don't know and for I didn't know at that stage but for me it was a sign to just go that there is something better out there for you and if you leave it now you're not going to experience the great things that the world is going to offer you if you just believe in hope and if you just wait and if you really give this a go and A lot of people have told me because I've spoken to a few people that are more spiritual about this going like, what does this mean? And, you know, there is moments where they think, you know, because my heart did stop that maybe, yes, that was a death experience. But in a way, I see it now as I did die that day. But for me, I was also born again because I was at that rock bottom point where I was on my way to departing this earth, but something stopped me. And in that moment, I came, I came alive again. And for what reason, I don't know. But that was the moment where I started to choose life for once. And I will never know whether it was just an out-of-body experience or whether it's something more than that. But yeah, that was the moment I decided I was going to choose life and I was no longer going to, to choose death. I love that. Absolutely love that. So when you decided that, I don't I'm, imagine it wouldn't, wasn't easy for you to then just go snap your fingers and go, okay, yep, I'm going to get on with things like they were before. Yeah. How difficult was it for you to actually change and to start to recover? I honestly think that was the hardest part of recovery because now that I had made that decision and I'd made that goal and that that vow to myself, it was now all on me. Prior to that, it was, I could blame my parents, I could blame my family, or I could blame the therapy for not working because I didn't want to live, I didn't want to do recovery, so it was all on them. It was failing because they all wanted it, where now I wanted it. And so if there was a bad day or if there was a day that I felt like I was failing, that was on me. And that's where I found it quite difficult because I was a person that internalised a lot of things and very self-critical. And in anyone's recovery, it's up, it's down, it's sideways, it goes in every which way and every day is different. But I think for me, it yes, it was very, very hard. 
But I had made that decision. I was sticking to that decision. I knew I had to fulfill it all the way. And so, yeah, it was, um, oh, the stories though. It was so challenging to go through it all. But I'm so grateful that I did make that decision. How long do you think it took before you finally felt like you were in control again? Oh, I would say maybe three years. Three years from when I made that decision to feel like I had some sort of control. And that was, it is a very long time. And I would say it does get easier in that period, but to the point where I felt like I could make decisions about food and it not be eating disorder driven or make decisions about exercise or make decisions about my lifestyle that weren't eating disorder driven, probably definitely three years. And in that time, were things still happening like your jaw still locking up and things stopping you from being able to eat? No. So during that period when I was kind of overridden by my eating disorder, I was so undernourished that I guess when your brain and your body is starved of fuel, it goes into survival mode and the the disorder is so strong because you're so weak as a human. Mm And because the more I started to put on weight and going through hospital and being fed through the nose where it just quickened up my recovery in terms of restoring my weight, I started to actually be able to think for myself again. I started to actually have a bit more cognitive uh, structure back to my day where I could actually make some better decisions. And people don't actually realize that, but when you do not starve yourself or when you don't have enough body weight a lot of your functions start to fail and they start to um, just stop working so the more weight that you start to put on you kind of get your sanity back and I feel that yeah after hospital I still had moments where I had my anxiety attacks where I'd throw tantrums or I'd refuse to eat but it, it always came around with I'm going to do it anyway sort of thing it was just like this massive overwhelming feeling of anxiety where I would cry and I'd scream and I might chuck a little tantrum but it was always I'm going to eat the food and I will get through this where prior to that it was just numbing it was nothing and that obviously a contributing factor is that I was so underweight. So when did you decide that you wanted to start speaking out about this? I watched a story on an influencer that was on the news one night and she was promoting her business and promoting detox teas. And I remember watching it and just being so frustrated and being just so filled with anger because one, I'd never shared my story and I'd never really opened up to anyone about what I went through and how content like that really triggers people like myself and a lot of us out there that we need to lose weight or that we should be doing this or we should be doing that and I remember that night being so and I don't know why because it's not one of like a major thing that could influence someone to be really angry but for me it just got me and I remember that night I wrote a really long message to 60 Minutes Australia and and thinking it would go nowhere absolutely nowhere and then this is how you ended up on it Yes. Oh, I actually took you up on it. Yeah. yeah. So I just really wrote a really frustrating message that was based on emotion, sharing my story, just saying how 
and how being at the time I was 17, how I was so frustrated with the industry and how it was letting people like myself down. And I got a message about a day later from their producer saying, this is amazing, let's do a story. And I was like, okay, we're really doing this. (laughs) I have to stick to this. And then I remember doing the interview and still not having any real interest in sharing my story, but just wanting to, to spread a message. And I did the interview and then they kind of give you a really good pump up. Like they're like, you speak so well and you should be doing more of this and sharing more of your story. People don't know about this. And then once it was aired, the immense response we got from people all over the world about your story has really changed my life. I'm going through that right now. Families just reaching out for help. Families reaching out to say thank you. I was like, I think I want to do more of this. I I feel like this is what's needed. This is people not only just want to hear my story, but they want to hear stories that are similar and they want to start this conversation, but they've never had that platform or that person to, to open them up to it. So from there, we just started, my mum and I started little by little to start little conversations about eating disorders, not overwhelming people and sharing our story in bits and pieces. And then from there on, it kind of just grew and it grew to what it is today. But initially, my mum actually started our business, known now as The Secret Burden, where because I was admitted into Lady Slento Hospital in Brisbane, and it's about an hour, hour and a half drive from home, And it was really distressing to sort of update all the family in our community on how I was progressing in hospital. So my mum created a Facebook page and she called it The Secret Burden. And every day she'd be like, day one, and write down Ashley's progress. And then day three or day, it got up to like day 300 and something. And she updated everyone as we went along for education, for awareness, but also because it was really hard to pick up the phone every day and, you know, call her mom and then call my dad's parents and then call my brothers and my dad and update them when it was such an emotional time so that's where it started from my mom our whole business sector but I I would say yeah I really found my voice by watching that oh that stupid ad and advertisement on television (laughs) that just I don't know why it just got to me maybe it was another sign to say like this is your moment and then from there after 60 minutes I, I found that yeah I found my voice and once you started me talking, I just felt like I couldn't shut up. So, <laughs> How far along at that stage, how far along were you in your recovery? Oh, say about four years from that moment that I, I'd say I decided I wanted to recover. So for me at that point, I would say that I was in control of my food and I was living everyday life. I still had little niggling like eating disorder thoughts that would pop in here and there and certain situations that would trigger certain things that I was still learning to cope with but yeah four years I would say on in my journey. Now you have spoken out quite a lot especially in that 60 minutes interview that you did about social media and how that does affect people. Mm. What was it like for you to then go back onto social media and create a platform on social media and not trigger yourself, not go back into that kind of negative part of things. Mm. I'd imagine it would be quite hard. Yeah, it was 
difficult at the start, at the start but I, I spoke to my team at the time about it. I said, hey, I want to get back on social media, but I want to get back on a different perspective. Because obviously the experience I had prior was very negative and I didn't want to slip back into that. So there was a lot of talk with my, my team at the time about how we go about this, how we monitor this. And I had to be very intuitive about how I was feeling. And when I did a post, how did I feel after that? And how did I feel about likes? And how did I feel about follows? And surprisingly enough, I think I'd come so far and I was so against the environment that I was in prior that I found myself not engaging in anything negative, starting a new account, starting fresh and coming at a completely different perspective where I not only wanted to have a positive environment for myself, but I wanted to create a positive environment for other people. And with that intention, I found it a lot easier to engage in the platform because I wasn't following diet culture or influences or people that were previously selling me stuff to lose weight. I was following people that were doing amazing things in the space that I'm already in and body positive accounts and friends of mine that were posting positive content. And, you know, thankfully, Instagram, I believe now has shifted a little bit where you can hide likes and you can cut out or mute people that you don't like or not don't like, I shouldn't say that, but (laughs) don't want to engage in their content. So Mm -hmm. I just use them to my advantage where if I felt myself triggered, I would mute posts or I would hide the likes. And I'm a type of person, I try and go on Instagram, I post, I say what I have to say, I answer any messages, I connect with other people and then I try and get off there as soon as possible because I know for me, my personality trait, I have an addictive personality. So the more that I'm on there, the more that I'll be subconsciously engaging. So it's for me, it's about being more conscious of how I'm feeling and how the platform is making me feel and what sort of impact I want to make on other people. And I mean, if you're in control of social media and social media is not in in control of you, then you're going to have a better experience. It sounds like you've learned so much through all of this and you sound so wise and you're still so young. (laughs) How has the secret burden changed and evolved from that original Facebook page to where it is today? It's absolutely crazy. I still pinch myself to this day to think how far it's come, starting off with my mum just voicing her stress as a parent to now me taking it over and using my voice to start different conversations. I think we started as just a mother and daughter going through an experience that we thought no one knew about and we thought that no one would listen or no one would help or no one would reach out to us for. And to now be here today where I'm mentoring young people and we're mentoring families and we're now doing fundraiser events to raise awareness about eating disorders and we've been nationally recognised on channels across the world with the secret burden proudly on our chest and as a logo, for me, like when I look back to that moment of why did I get that sign in that hospital? Why why was I chosen to, to survive that day and to, to choose recovery? I, I look at the world that I'm living in now and the environment that 
I've created for myself and my family and I have fought for and go, this is why. Because this is the hope that we've created. This is what we've strived for and not so much for myself or my family, but to know that we can now have other people that come to us and go, I never knew eating disorders were like that. And for that perspective to change or for families to go, thank you so much for sharing your story so that I feel less alone. And to be able to get families the sufficient support and the sufficient resources. And we can do that now. To me, that is one thing that, yeah, I just, I can't even put into words because I'm so thankful and so grateful that I did choose recovery that day. And I did choose life that day because now I'm, being part of the secret burden, we can help so many families and start that conversation that needed to be had ages ago. Well done. You should be so proud of yourself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, um, yes, very, very proud of how far we've all come and, and what we can achieve now. So what do you hope moving forward into the future? I think for me now, I have a real passion for this space and I've always had a passion for starting the conversation I feel that now in the world that we're living in conversations are beginning to be had whether it's in mental health it's in eating disorders or any taboo subject we're starting to to really talk about issues that need to be talked about for me moving forward I want to see action attached to that we have you know, governments that are are backing this and that are saying that they're doing a lot and we have people in this space that are saying they're doing a lot. We have days even that to support mental health days and to support eating disorders. But now my, my passion and my project is to actually have sufficient action in this area where we can implement programs and we can start prevention and early intervention towards eating disorders, towards mental health, because We can talk about it all we like, which is phenomenal because it's definitely a step forward to where we were five years ago. But to now actually put in practices and to put in resources where we can provide help and we can provide help early, I think that's my next passion, my next project to actually push that and to get our medical system to just change just a little bit because unfortunately wait lists are way too long and still turning people away seven years on in my journey it's just it's just not okay so that that's where my head's at is now pushing for some some action in this space and how are you and your health I'm really good yeah it's it's great it's yeah it's been a long journey as I said it's seven years now since I was diagnosed which is a long time people think you know sometimes when you're going through an illness people think oh yeah one year or six months four months I'll get over this but seven years on I can finally say that I'm in a place where I can go out I can eat whatever I want I can be with whoever I want my anxiety is under control in my sense and I can live this this life that's free of my my eating disorder and once you experience that There's no going back. There's just this mindset of why would you ever want to go back to restricting yourself or depriving yourself of such a life that you've created that is so fulfilling. And physically, I've healed myself and recovered. And mentally, I have as well. And I feel that that is something that I am so very proud of, but also very happy to share because for a lot of us that 
do go through it. We feel that there is no hope and that you're never going to get better. But there is, like I am proof that you can get through this and you can live a life that is eating disorder free. And you'll have moments, um, you'll have triggers and you'll have times where you, you want to slip back or you'll have that thought or something will just pop up and you'll hear your little eating disorder voice pop in. But once you've recovered, you are so strong and you know what you want, you know what you don't want that you were strong enough to fight that and say that I don't need you I don't need the eating disorder I've created the person I want to be and there's no stopping you and it's like you're entering the world for the first time you're experiencing all these new things with this strength and willpower that you've all of a sudden discovered and I feel that yeah once you experience that everything falls into place for you and and like anyone you're going to have troubles and you're going to have moments that are going to really, really test you. But nah, you're not going back and I'm definitely not going back now that I uh, now that I know where I am today. My goodness, you're such a ray of light. <laughs> Thank you. I have one final question for you that I ask everyone at the end of their interviews. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, firstly, I'd just give her a hug. I'd just give her a hug. And then I would just tell her to, to hold on and be patient with yourself. I think that I put so much pressure on myself to be a certain person and at a young age and to fit in and to be loved and to be wanted and to need something from everyone else. And I would tell her just, you don't need anything from anyone else. You've got everything that you've that you need and that you want and stop looking outside to make yourself feel good or to make yourself feel validated if you look inside yourself and you look in that mirror and you be proud because every day that you wake up is a day to be proud of because it's tough this world is tough it's it's tough on everyone but the fact that you got up today is something that you should be smiling about and I tell her to to be brave, to be strong and just to just to hold on because it does get better. Right now it feels really really crap and it feels like everyone is against you and the world is against you. But the longer you hold on, the longer that you'll come out stronger and you'll come out better. And that I'm proud of her. So that's what I would say. That is amazing. Thank you so much Ashley for sharing your story with me today and with everybody listening and for everything that you and your mum are doing with The Secret Burden. I'm sure you're going to help so many people along the way. I'm sure you already have and you're going to help many, many more. So thank you so much for everything that you do. No, thank you. And I just, I'm so grateful that you asked me as well to come on here and and share my story and start the conversation because it's people like you and it's people in this space that need to start pushing for that change. And it's one conversation at a time that the more that we have them, the more that we can just change a perspective and, and really encourage more understanding in this space. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing and asking me on. So thank you. If this episode brought up any issues for you, please contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1800 33 4673 or Lifeline on 131114. 
thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspirational Tales. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could please share it with your family and friends so that we can inspire more people. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please don't forget to leave us a rating or review and make sure that you have subscribed or followed the podcast on whichever platform that you are listening to it on so that you can stay up to date as new episodes are released. Thanks again and I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Inspirational Tales.